0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I do count it an absolute privilege to join in the vision and share in an incredible time in history, a great message of hope that together we can give to our community. Adelaide, Australia, the world needs no more religion. We have certainly had enough of that. But boy, we need something that is real and something that works. And this morning, what I'm going to share with you is not just theory. It's not just teaching from Scripture, but it's my life story in some way. I found out in life, we don't transfer what we say. We transfer who we are. And I pray today that what I share in the simplest form will be a huge encouragement to us all. Pastor Tony's been talking about refresh in the area of our purpose. We need to have a refreshed sense of purpose in our lives. Last Sunday, a powerful practical message on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And today I'm gonna share on the power of being, did you see that? I just slid right down. (laughs) I better stay focused. I wanna share on the power of being planted in God's house. I'm a third generation preacher. My grandfather planted a church in Southern Italy many, many years ago after the Second World War. I've been to church all my life. In fact, nine months before I was born. Always been in church. And now my grandkids are in church. And I think five generations. The question is, has it worked for me? A lot of people come to me today, and goes, it doesn't do it for me anymore. I don't believe in God. I don't believe, is it working for you? Because when we look at our world around us right now, there's never been more confusion, more doubt and fear, more suicide. You see, if there really is a God, He has a pattern. And when we live by His pattern, our lives live purposed, they live empowered, but they live planted in truths that never ever go out of fashion. And I'm so grateful that being planted in God's purpose and God's house has kept my marriage together. We've had our challenges, I told you last time, I think I spoke that for our 50th, we've been married 48 years, oh, 46 years. For our 50th, I'm taking Sharon to Italy. And for our 55th, I'm gonna go and get her back. So, you know, uh, (laughs) sorry, Um, yeah. She hasn't spoken to me for three years. She didn't want to interrupt me. So, you know, it's been one of those kind of marriages, you know, but we're still together. The whole thing for me is this works. And what I'm gonna share with you today is something that is really comfortable for me to share because it's been so real. I grew up in an Italian church. Italians talk with their hands. They talk loud. My wife, when she first started going out with me and I took her to the Italian church, she didn't know whether people were fighting or just talking because everybody's talking with their hands and they're really loud. And, And I grew up in a little Italian church where it was quite interesting. You know Italians are very emotional, if you haven't gathered. And uh, whenever people in church felt that there was something happening, like God was present, people would make all kinds of noises. One of my aunties, we called her the ambulance, because every time she was in church and she felt, oh, I can feel God's presence in the building, she'd go, woo, woo. And I'd be sitting there as a teenager Go! I'm not bringing my friends to church. <laughs> They're gonna think this place is mad. At the age of 14, it was a deacon-possessed church. And at the age of 14, two deacons had a punch up in the foyer. They called the police, as Italians do. And I had to be the interpreter. And I've seen the best and worst of what people do in the name of church. And yet, in the midst of all those weird expressions, the faith that comes through a people that gather together, knowing that God has brought us together, is enduring. To be able to do my mum's funeral just recently and know how much all her life, with all that she used to sing, and my mum used to try to sing in English, and she should have never done that. We used to sing an old song, Tony. You remember, he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yeah, my mum used to sing it in English in church. He is our King, our King. He is our Lord, our Lord. And she was singing, out of a tune, I'm singing it in tune. And I used to sit in church and go, mum, please, quiet. They asked me at school, what does your dad do? Because he was the pastor. I said, he's a butcher. I never told people what my dad did because I, I was too embarrassed. And yet somehow I've watched those generations come and go with a deep, deep faith, a deep, deep knowledge of what it meant to come together and be a community. That I tell you, we're we're missing that in our world today. Because the Bible's very real when it talks about the power of being planted together. Church is a people, not a place. Let me say this up front: it's not a building. You're not at the church today, you are the church. I am the church, church is a people, not a place. We're meant to be together in one place, in one accord with one purpose. COVID-19 has brought a lot of confusion to people. We have conspiracy theories. Uh, Some people thought Donald Trump was anointed by God to be this amazing leader. I said, well, the Bible does talk about it. The last trump shall sound. So, you know, sorry, bad, 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 bad. But I am totally blown away by all these conspiracy theories because as a young man, many years ago, I made a decision that when I read the Bible, I wasn't gonna chase the concealed, I was gonna obey the revealed. Why chase the concealed? where it can have a thousand interpretations and totally ignore the revealed. There's enough revealed in the Bible that every human being on the planet, if they followed the teachings that are revealed, we would have a better world. We would have better families. We would have better homes because the revealed Word of God is very simple, very clear and very livable. And so as a young man, I'm gonna go through just a few. There's so many scriptures, I don't have time to go through all of them. But as a young man, one of my first scriptures that I read at the age of 25, somewhere around, actually was even younger than that, was Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. One good, honest look at the Bible. And if we call ourselves Christians, we cannot live in isolation. We were not meant to live in isolation. I mean, even Batman had Robin. The Lone Ranger had Tonto. I better move on. We were called to be planted together and the Scripture goes on and on and on. When God repeats Himself in the Bible, He doesn't have a speech impediment. When He repeats Himself, He's trying to get a truth across to us that is a non-negotiable truth for our benefit. And that's why in Psalm 69, David, who stuffed up his life that many times, committed adultery, made a whole mess of his life. But one thing he did—he's always came back to the house of God. And he goes, "Zeal for your house." Psalm 69, verse nine: "Zeal for your house consumes me." Proverbs chapter 26: "I love your house, Lord." You know, uh, and there's so many. But I, I want to just take my story today and share with you. Because according to the Scriptures, the church should be a community. Now hang in there, because I'm going to read a bit right now. But listen to this, and this is just a bit. The church should be a community that cares for one another, loves one another, hosts one another, receives one another, honours one another, serves one another, instruct one another, Forgive one another, motivate one another, build peace with one another, encourage one another, comfort one another, pray for one another, confess sin to one another, esteem one another, edify one another, teach one another, show kindness to one another, give to one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, hurt with one another, and restore one another, to mention just a few. So this whole thing of, I'm just gonna stay home, excuse me, and just watch online. That's a level of isolation we were never meant to be in unless there's no other way we can do church. Like we might be ill, you know, and those watching today that can't be here. But apart from that, since COVID-19, there's an army of people around the world going, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to church. Why wouldn't you want to, if we had this pattern of togetherness? Why wouldn't you want to be in community? It's not a have to, it's a love to. As I look back over my 40 years of being involved in church leadership, I've never had to do anything and I don't have to go anywhere. And when I got cancer two years ago and I couldn't go to church for nine months through chemotherapy and everything else, I was still loving God and connected online. So. That those things have a place but boy when we can why wouldn't we want to be together and be one in the house of God because christianity is not just coming to a building filled with programs but a people dedicated to coming together in one place to love God and serve each other this is the kind of love that Jesus talked about a lot and you know when someone's on their deathbed and they still have an ability to share, you're gonna share the most important things to you. You're gonna share with your family, hey, take care of this, don't forget this. And you share the things that are really, really important. And Jesus in John chapter 17 is about to go to the cross and He's praying to the Father. And He says, these disciples that you've given me, I've kept them, I've bound them together, I've given them Your Word and I sent them in their God shapes to change the world. But one thing I do pray is that they stay together, that they come together. And you know, the enemy's greatest weapon in the modern church today is isolation. To isolate people from connection because it's in connection that we get a lot of help. It's in connection that we get focused. It's in connection that we really fulfil our destiny. And that's why Jesus prays this prayer And then in John 13, a couple of chapters before, verse 34, he says, Now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus prayed for us to stay connected, not disconnected. Now, one of the things I wanna say this morning is you know there was an ark that was built by Noah. Many of us know that story with a whole lot of animals that went in two by two. A lot of us have heard that story, even if you're not a church goer, probably sometime in the past about Noah and the ark. And I wanna say this, the stink inside the ark was better than the storm outside. The smell inside that ark, you can imagine what kind of smell, with all those animals was still more protective and a better place to be than the storm outside people are bashing the church All over the world, people are having a go at the church, even people that call themselves Christian. And I wanna tell you, friends, I am so glad through all that I've been through in my life that the stink inside of the church, because we're dealing with personalities and we're dealing with people's brokenness and we're dealing with people's imperfection and all those things are designed for us to be together so that we grow as human beings in our forgiveness, in our love, in our surrender, when we are confronted by opposition in personalities and in humanity people just leave and join another church or go somewhere else because it's not comfortable anymore but God designed the ark called the church to be filled with people that understand there'll be some smell Understand there'll be some stink inside the ark, but it's better than the storm outside. I would rather live one week of my life connected to the purposes of God than live out in a world right now with a woke culture and a cancel culture where no one has really freedom of speech. And I could go on about that today. But I wanna tell you, the God that I serve has never changed. But let me tell you, He still works today and it still works when we obey Him. At the age of 11, I had my first encounter with God. I was in one of those arcs that was filled with stink. My dad was the pastor. There was lots of church politics. A very good reason to say stick it all. But at the age of 11, in a prayer meeting one night, I had an encounter with God. I was only 11, but it transformed my life. I believe I was genuinely filled with God's Spirit and my conscience became alive. I was saying to the staff on Tuesday, one of the things I talk about the Holy Spirit is that as a young man, when that happened to me at the age of 11, when I was going down a path I shouldn't be going, I'd get on the inside uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, don't do that. That's gonna hurt your life. And I'm so grateful for the uh, uh-uh of God that comes when you do life together with people that believe in that same power. And I did that from the age of 11. At the age of 16, I met my wife. Don't get too freaked out. But at the age of 17, I married my wife. The day before I turned 18. That's why we've been married all those years. At the age of 19, I served in our youth group at Paradise Church and just did whatever I could do in that local house. I didn't know there were gifts inside of me that by being connected and planted in the house of God, others could see in me what I couldn't see in me and started to draw out of me the gifts that were given to me by God. In our early 20s, we opened up our home to have young people come through on a Wednesday night because that's what the church asked us to do. I had no idea what to do. And by the end of two years, over 200 young people had come through our home at Ingle Farm in a little 10 square home, housing trust home. And we'd had hundreds of young people came through, four corners from Channel 2, came and did a whole documentary on how all these young people gathered. Now they didn't all, the 200 didn't all come at one time into our house. What we did is we started multiple campuses. We would grow the home group to about 15 and then we'd start another one in another part of Ingle Farm and one at Windsor Gardens and, and so on. And we just kept multiplying and Four Corners came and did a story on how young people weren't frying their brains on drugs, but were actually serving each other and God in this growing local church full of young people. That was in the 1970s, early 80s. And here we still are all these years later finding how good the church can be with all its problems and with all its faults when we grasp its purpose and why God in all His great knowledge came up with this pattern of local church. In 1975, we're about to have our first child. My wife Sharon lost that child. I remember it was a Wednesday going to the hospital where she nearly died herself. I'm at the Queen Victoria Hospital. We've just lost our first child. My life is not too good right now. I felt vulnerable, I felt weak, but I knew there was a prayer meeting on that night at the church. And so I said goodbye to Sharon. I got in the car, I drove to Klemzik Church on OG Road or just around the corner from OG Road. And I walked into a prayer meeting where as people prayed and I got to share my story, they gathered around me. They prayed for me. They hugged me and said, you're gonna be okay. And all of a sudden I'm standing surrounded by comfort and surrounded by a supernatural sense that we were gonna be okay. I thank God for the church. You can knock the church who you like, but I thank God for what the local church did for me. And that was 1975. I've been blessed by the local church. During those years, I only did one year of Bible school in 1983. I wasn't a theologian. But during those years, I felt very challenged to journal. And so I've journaled since then to today. I journal every day through the Bible. And I remember one of my first journals was Acts chapter 27. And it's a story of Paul on route to Rome with a ship full of prisoners and they hit a storm. They hit a massive storm and the prisoners are trying to jump ship. I remember reading this and the words, stay in the boat, stay in the boat in the midst of a storm. And I remember writing a whole message on, a lot of people can jump ship when stuff goes wrong in their lives. A lot of people leave the church when life doesn't dish up what they thought it should have dished up. Marriage breaks up, Parents were hypocrites. You can go on and on and on and on. But in this storm, Paul stands up and goes, if you wanna live, you need to stay in the boat. You need to stay in the boat. And I remember reading this and the sense of, you're gonna see lots of crazy things in church world, but the best place to be in a storm is to stay in the boat. Five years ago, when our son passed away, killed by a lightning strike. If you're visiting today, most of the people in this church know the story because he was a youth pastor in this church. My life fell apart. I remember one night getting down by my bed in my bedroom and I'm a preacher. And I'm going, how am I ever gonna preach again? How am I gonna cope with this horrendous story? And I remember crying out and saying, God, What psychiatrist do I go to? What psychologist do I go to? Who do I run to? I don't know how I'm gonna survive this deep, deep pain. And a voice inside my head, not audible, just a big strong thought. What about all the sermons you've preached to everybody else? Because if they don't work for you, they won't work for anybody else. And I got up from the floor. I was on my knees, I got up, went to my office and pulled out a box of old, old sermons. They were handwritten, the papers pretty worn. And the very first one I pulled up, stay in the boat in the midst of a storm. And I began to read the notes. I needed the church's comfort I needed the church's understanding. I needed people to connect with me and not ask the question why, but just to sit with me. People from God's church would show up at our home. They would bring food and then they would just sit with us. Would ask me, do you want a coffee? We'll make it for you. They didn't preach to me, but they sat with me. And that message that I got all those years earlier, stay in the boat, in the midst of your storm, I realised we're still working after so much pain. After Chris's death came cancer. After cancer, there's been other health issues. Now I can't see properly out of my right eye. I'm one-eyed about all of you this morning. And so, you know, but I'm still in the boat because I want to tell you, I'd rather be in the boat in the midst of the storm than be anywhere else. And you know, this morning, I've put some words up on screen. I think they'll be on screen. In all my storms, I found this boat called the church to be the greatest blessing in my life. Now, listen, you've got to walk with Christ before you walk with the church. If you just walk with the church, you're a churchian. If you walk with Christ, you're a Christian. And I gave my life to Christ and then I serve Him through the church. So when the church stuffs up, Christ doesn't. When the church gets it wrong, Christ doesn't, but it doesn't mean I do my Christianity in isolation. And I'll give you some reasons of what the church has meant to me. Number one, I've needed the church's atmosphere. If we can put those words, atmosphere. I thank God all through my life, when my son passed away and I would go to church on a Sunday morning. And when Chris was at edge for many years, and played guitar on the stage. I would be on the front row bawling my eyes out and people are thinking, gee, Danny's really enjoying the presence of God. But I would look up on the stage and I'd see he's not there anymore. I used to love his guitar playing. I can't hear it anymore. And I'd be bawling my eyes out and there'd be mixed emotions in that worship service. But I would shift from pain, I would, shift from that place of despair and I would start to feel the atmosphere. That's why musicians and singers, you're not up here to put on a show, not that you do, but you're here to to work, in a way that the presence of God can be felt in the atmosphere of the building. Because people can come in broken and they can leave whole. People can come in torn and they can be touched by God on their way. Uh, out. my mum, at the age of nine, she gave her heart to God through a worship service. And she heard the singing and she cried and she gave her heart to God. She passed away with dementia, but not that long ago in December last year. And you know, for years, the last five years of her dementia, she would sing out aloud all the time. She could remember the songs of when she first became a Christian and she could sing, but she couldn't talk because your singing come from a different part of your brain. But I want to tell you, friends, let's not underestimate the atmosphere of a church. Atmosphere has changed my life. I've needed the church's atmosphere, number two. I've needed the church's adjustment. My life needs adjusting. How many times do people come up to me and go, when you preach today, you spoke straight into my life. How did you know? How did you read my mail? You know why? Because God wants to adjust us. And when we're in a meeting like this, we can come unadjusted or out of joint and, and something in a song, something in a word, something in a hug, something in someone in the foyer saying something to you and God can adjust. That's happened in my life for 40 years. The adjustment of God. Number three, the church has been an and in my life. See, the Bible talks about walking together. There was Peter and John. There was Paul and Silas. I can't do my life on my own. It's gotta be an and in my life. You know what? Your and will determine your end. The way you do your ands in life will determine how you end your life. And I thank God that for 40 years with all the church's issues and all the church's politics and all that kind of stuff, I've had an end in my life that's done me good. It's done me more good than bad. And I'm grateful. I look at Greg Doughton today, who's going through his challenge. And I know I talk about him a lot, but he's just been away on holidays. Welcome back, Greg. It's good to have you with us. And I'll tell you, he doesn't miss one meeting when he's in town, but he was an and in my life when I was his youth leader, when I had hair and only one stripe in my pyjamas, I was that skinny. That's how long ago we go back. But we had dinner together the other night with his wife and and I'm sitting there going, how enriching that in all of life's challenges, we can have the right ands in our life. And so I'm glad for the church being an and in my life. Number four. The church has been an add to my life. What I mean by that is when I've been weak in my own prayers, people adding their prayers to mine have been an incredible add to my life. When your child dies, when you get cancer, when you don't have the energy to pray, I'm so glad that sometimes you don't have the faith all the energy, but you know, you've got others that are adding their strength to your weakness. And I'm glad the church has been an add to my life. Number five, I am so glad for the anointing. The anointing, if you're a new person here today, is that sense of the supernatural power of God. You know, I absolutely need that in my life. Now, I've shared this story with some of the leaders, but I wanna share it today. A few years ago, I was home preparing for a Friday night service. I was preparing for the service. And as I'm preparing my message, I got this urge to preach out of Psalm 84. I don't know why, but I had to. I read it, I put a message together very quickly. At the last minute, we get to church. And my son, Michael says, Dad, do you mind if we start the church service different tonight? I wanna get up five minutes before the service starts. And on Wednesday night, while we were having rehearsal as a worship team, we all got on our knees. And as we started to worship God, we wrote a song together. It's Psalm 84. Now I'm freaking out. I've just changed my sermon to Psalm 84. So they get up and start singing the song. People are in tears. I jump up, grab the microphone. And you know, it's funny when something like that happens as a pastor, you think of all the people that should have been there. If only they were here tonight. If only they were here tonight, they could do with this tonight. The power, the, the anointing in the meeting was incredible. Anyway, before I got up to speak, I said to my PA, can you get me Psalm 84 in the Message Bible? I wanna read that version at the end of the service, but I hadn't read it myself. So I preached. We sang the song that was just written at rehearsal. And at the end of the meeting, a lady comes running down the aisle. She would have been about 35, bursts into tears. And she goes, Pastor Danny, I am freaked out. I've only been in this church two months. My husband's left me. My life is a mess, but I'm a professional photographer. I have just been asked to go to the Greek islands. For two weeks, to be at a wild party on a boat and it's gonna be one big, massive wild party. I've just become a Christian and I just don't feel that environment is gonna help me. I might fall, but I don't want my friends to think I'm better than them. So I don't know whether to go or not to go, but I was praying at home this morning and I said, God, what do I do? And in my head came Psalm 84. She goes, I went and read it but it still didn't make a lot of sense to me. Until tonight, when at the end of your preaching, you read it from that other version of the Bible. Let me read it to you. One day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship beats thousands spent on Greek island beaches. (laughs) I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honoured as a guest in the palace of sin. She goes, I didn't read it in that version of the Bible. I said, neither did I. I just read it at the end of the service. I was reading it for the first time. She goes, a thousand people in church tonight and I get picked out of the crowd by God in my desperation. He loves me that much. That girl is still in church. Serving God with all her problems and all her stuff. I tell you, the anointing that happens in our togetherness when we come together is amazing. I'm home one, day, one morning getting ready to speak on a Sunday morning and I'm ironing and I realize I'm running late, so I only iron the back of my shirt. I only iron the back because they're not going to. Sorry, sorry. I only iron the front. What am I saying? I only iron the front. I had no time to iron the back. I was running late. And while I'm ironing, I get a word of knowledge, a word from God of someone that was gonna be in the meeting that day that wasn't sure whether God existed, wasn't sure, They was so lonely they'd been told by someone that our church was a cult and felt totally, I don't wanna go back to church anymore. She comes to church and I keep talking about ironing the front of my shirt. Hey church, and in my head, I'm going, shut up, get on with it. Why do you keep talking about ironing the front of the shirt? I said, while I was ironing the front of my shirt, I only ironed the front of my shirt. I only ironed the front of my shirt. I got these words. At the end of the meeting, another lady comes running down the front to, to Karen, one of our pastors, bawling her eyes out. She goes, who's the old bloke? <laughs> I didn't like that. I'd handed the church over a couple of years earlier. and She didn't even know I was the ex-pastor, which is a good thing. She goes, who's the old bloke up there? She goes, this morning I got up and said, God, if you're real, I need to know because I've been told this church is a cult. I've also been told that, you know, coming here is gonna ruin my life. That guy said that I was lonely. And three months ago, my husband died and we had a joke in our family because he only ever ironed the front of his shirt. And that guy kept going on about ironing the front of the shirt. He starts bawling. She goes, how can God pick me out in a crowd like that? It's called God's anointing. There's people in this room today and you've been totally tossed on the whole purpose of church. It's not man's idea as Tony said today earlier. It's God's idea. God called us to be together. He called us to be connected because we need the anointing. Number six, very quickly, nearly done. If the musicians can come back. I need the assignment of the church. So many people say, I don't know what to do with my life. Well, God gives churches assignments to transform communities. I remember when God put in my heart to renovate the Adelaide Children's Hospital, when He told us to renovate Morfitt Vale High School and millions of dollars later, 57 toilets built in, uh, in, in, um, in Africa where people didn't die of cholera because of what was done by one local church and people that never knew what their purpose was got on board with the purpose of the house. And when you get on board with the purpose of the house, you unpack who you are. And together we'd be able to build something awesome with the assignment. And the last one, number seven, we need the amen of the church. I'm so glad that we can go up to each other after church and go, you really touched me when you said that. You really blessed me when you said that. We need to use our voice to be able to encourage one another because none of us feel great about ourselves. But boy, when we're in an atmosphere of being planted in the house of God, amazing things can happen. Let me just finish it, maybe saying it another way, same thing. The church over the last 40 years has enhanced my convictions. My convictions. It's encouraged my personal walk with Jesus. It's equipped me in my God purpose. And it's been an expression to the wider community. Do you know how many times, how many times people would drive down South Road, they would see our building and they would say things like, what goes on in there? Do you know when we come together, we are a living witness to the community that something's happening in God's world. And a guy driving past down South Road, time's run out, who was over here from England, who suffered with post-traumatic stress because of the, the war that he'd been into. Never been to church, saw advertised on the front of our building that we had a Christmas service. I remember when I felt led by God to let our building prophesy, let the building speak let our foyer speak, let our catering speak, let everything we do be a voice without opening your mouth. And this man walked in for the first time. He was so, so scared, had never been to church. He couldn't get over the hospitality. Thank you all the people that serve out there. He couldn't get over the people wanting to give him a coffee. He couldn't get over the care given to him. During the singing, he freaked out. The music was a bit too modern for him but he listened to the preaching about stress and he was stressed and had been thinking suicide and was thinking of leaving his wife. At the end of the meeting, someone showed him around the building. He said, I, I've never seen anything like this. I've got his letter here, but I've run out of time to read it. He wrote me a letter from England. He lived in England. On the way home, they had to transfer flights. They had a free night. They went to Hillsong Church. He gave his life to Christ that night. Went back to e- England and led 20 of his mates to Christ. And they are in a local church in their village today. And he writes me a letter. He said, I was about to top myself. My life was a mess. And I walked into one service and everything the guy said from the front was reading my mail. And he goes, and I realised there was a hole in my heart that only God could fill. And today that guy is still serving God with 20 of his mates in a a little town in England. And I want to say this morning, friends, we need to refresh. Stop bashing the church and start building the church because it's God's answer. I've never stayed away. Do not forsake the assembly. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. The revealed. The revealed says, don't stop doing this. So why chase the concealed? Let's just obey the revealed, and your life will be better off for it. I'm only one decision away from becoming a total idiot. But I want to thank God today that I'm going to finish my race strong because I want to be planted in the house of God. Father, today, this is not about recruiting people. We don't want just bums on seats. We don't just want to fill a building. We are your church. And I pray today that the value of your church is heated up in us. And I pray that we won't want to have to come. We'll want to come, but not just to receive, but to give and be the body you've called us to be.